The Vegas midday sky is strangely dark and slightly orange. The sun, ordinarily a blazing hot laser that has this amazing hostility in the desert, is muted. I can stare right at it and see its perfect circle. It is the stuff of a Ridley Scott dystopia. In this moment, my mind goes to the end of the world place. I know the haze comes from California currently on fire in so many places that the smoke has drifted as far as Kansas, but it's still thick here. It smells like a Weber charcoal grill just before the steaks go on. I wonder if the clothes I'm wearing are my apocalyptic outfit, the costume of my end-of-days character. I'm not sure if the shoes will hold up to Cormac's road, but jeans have some staying power, I think. The vest, at least, will look cool as the planet descends into galactic irrelevance. If this is it, that minute when it all goes to shit, did I remember to tell my mom I love her? Was my last kiss on my wife's lips worthy of being our, you know, last kiss? Will I remember months from now as I scavenge cold canned food out of abandoned grocery stores to survive the feast of a club sandwich, fries, and a Dr. Pepper as bounty? Did I write about things and ideas worth reading and soon long after the digital pr footprint is erased by the absence of electricity, will anybody remember them? I grew up reading about the demise of civilization. The King, Stephen King's The Stand was among my favorite books. Movies about the nuclear holocaust destined to come, pandemics devastating humanity, zombies hoarding through empty cities, the inhumanity of humans balanced with the kindness of survivors, hard choices following devastating loss. Yeah, I think what makes my specific brand of optimism potent is the always present knowledge of impermanence. Mortality is never far from my thoughts, although it's not the fear of death or pain that permeates the brain stew. It's the billions of distractions spent eating up life, being lived just before the end, that fascinate and horrify me. This too shall pass is both a salve for those in troubled times and a warning for those whose heads are stuck so far up their cake holes that they miss the important, significant, but easily discarded life. I like to believe that if we're all a bit more in tune with the fact that the party eventually ends, we might be the slightest bit more grateful for the last solo cup of beer and the final bite of cheese. We'll feel pretty fucking stupid taking for granted a hug when there is suddenly no one left to embrace. I stare at the sun for that beat, and the moment passes. I head back into the casino for more of the bizarre, the mundane, and the simple weird day-to-day -day of managing the swing shift in a casino that, at the end of the world, boulevard of broken dreams my ass, the fractured lives of gamblers on the ass end of broke dick is more like it. On a corner slot machine sits Ted. That isn't his name, as far as I know, but random addict, homeless white guy mumbling to himself is too burdensome for a piece. So Ted will do. Ted's been here before. Ted could be 35 years old or somewhere north of 60. Who knows? The desert sun has a way of fossilizing age. My general manager has tossed him from the place for refusing to wear a mask. I physically threw him out into the parking lot when he decided he was going to get a free drink and scream his ass off in order to get it. When I tried to get him out the door, he started screaming, Don't you put your hands on me! My response was, Or what? His reaction was to try to break the glass on one of the exit doors. I grabbed him by the back of the shirt and shoved him into the pavement. 
as the nice manager or the manager of multiple chances, I figure as long as he's not bothering people or acting up, he's fine to play his found $2 for a beer and a chance to get out of the heat. He has a tall boy beer in his pocket. Yo, don't open that beer on the casino floor. I'll have to chuck it in a can. He nods in a frenetic way and continues to slowly push the penny bet button. I remind him to wear the fucking mask. Really, a red bandana, but who quibbles in a pandemic? And he haphazardly pulls it up. I register a sour smell from him, a combination of weeks of sweat, booze, and something else unpleasant. A few minutes later, he's up at the cage trying to cash in couch, cash vouchers for three cents and eleven cents that he's found in machines abandoned by players who couldn't be bothered with a small change after losing. This practice, known as ticket surfing, is forbidden. So it's time for Ted to head out for the day. He takes the news better this time, as me booting him from the property is now semi-routine. He points to the machine he was playing. Someone left those cigarettes. Are those yours? He asks. Not mine. I smoke, but not cigarettes. No one seems to want them, so if you do, they're yours. You don't want them? Nah, menthol. You couldn't pay me to smoke menthol. I can have them? Yep. I hand him what looks like three quarters of a pack of Newports. Another moment, a microcosm expanded. The look on his face, surprise, gratitude, sadness, desperation, freezes time. How did Ted go from being an eight-year-old boy, just like I once was, and end up in this moment here? What was his journey in this descent? The feeling in my core isn't pity or empathy. It isn't some virtuous need to demonstrate kindness or a need to save him. It's almost a clinical interest in his story, a desire to understand his path and how it diverged from my own. Looking at a disaster and wondering how I avoided the same. Genes? Upbringing? Dumb luck? At once I am struck by the things I fail to appreciate in my life. In the midst of the frustration with so much of society, with the struggles, with the needs and complaints of so many, I recognize the absolute necessity in reflection. Staring for, for a moment in the mirror, but not at myself and the narcissism of the social media age, but at the people and things around me that keep me from walking those footsteps of the apocalypse, from dancing the sad death spiral Ted seems to be on. This too shall pass. A Las Vegas friend with ties to Chicago made an odd comment recently. He was commenting on his enjoyment of Johnny Depp films and said, I'm truly fascinated by the work of those who have been canceled. Depp, you, wait, I was canceled? I suppose in some ways I was. My frame is that Chicago was as done with me as I was Chicago, but no one can present themselves from the, within their own lens. See, everyone sees everyone else the way they choose to. And if some see my trajectory in that way, I suppose it doesn't change anything for me. And it's that lens thing that gets to the point, right? The world is as you choose to see it. Not so much as a frame for truth, because the whole I'm living my truth is some ego-driven prattle, but as a guide for one how behaves. There are always going to be people who will take advantage of you. Always. You can choose to then see everyone as a potential grifter, or choose to avoid assigning guilt before specificity. The choice will determine how you approach every relationship you enter into. It will di dictate how you treat strangers. It will stipulate the terms of your own social contract. We're living out big history right now.
The events we are enduring are going to be taught in history classes for hundreds of years. For those folks living in 2120, the COVID pandemic of 2020, the reign of Donald Trump, the results of decades of climate change, all will be chapters in the book. In Brian De Palma's Vietnam film, Casualties of War, there is a moment that sticks in my mind. This is certainly a paraphrase, so don't get your little girl panties up in a wad about accuracy. But at one point, a character looks at Michael J. Fox and states that nothing matters in the conflict. That with the horror surrounding them, no one is looking at the brutal behavior of single individual. So who cares? Fox's character's response is simply that maybe when no one is looking, when the world is on fire, maybe it's even more vital to do the right thing then. When everyone is angry and misunderstanding everyone else, when war envelops us all, maybe that is the exact time to be kinder and less angry. This too shall pass, and we will still be here. The world feels like it's ending a lot more than it did when I was reading The Stand and listening obsessively to Maynard Ferguson. Perhaps the immediacy of knowing at every second what everyone is doing and feeling has something to do with that. I don't know. I suspect that the world will never end, at least not in the way our active dreaming envisions it. The world, whether it includes us or not, will continue to turn. Each day will follow the next. Maybe it takes the form of a Max Ma- Mad Max world or a dystopia where Kevin Costner is the postman hero. I can almost guarantee that the momentary vitriol and infighting over identity, over politics, over whether to wear a mask or how we fund college will not be on the radar. At this particular end of the world, it's that kiss on my wife's lips, that FaceTime call to mom, that fucking dry-ass club sandwich that matter. It's the fact that I had the privilege to take a hot shower that I'm remarkably COVID-free, and I own one more, more than one pair of shoes, despite wearing the less durable pair today, that count. We have bigger fish to fry, and even those, too, will pass. Yeah, when it comes, at least I'll be wearing this cool-ass vest. In 54 years of traipsing about on the planet, I can't recall a single time I requested to speak to the manager. I can only remember one or two times in that span that I chose to call the police to defuse a situation. Probably a few more times than that when I was actively hostile to a service worker and then mostly on the phone, which each time was followed by a sincere apology. You know, perhaps I'm a doormat when it comes to getting the wrong order or not receiving the expected service in these situations. But I genuinely do not comprehend that impulse when confronted with these circumstances. No one should be required to suffer abuse at the hands of a disgruntled customer. And no one getting minimum wage should have their employment held over their head for refusing to take shit while simply trying to do their job. We called him Cowboy Bob. It wasn't his name, but I dubbed him that the first time I encountered him. And the name stuck for not only the casino staff, but also with many of our regulars who despised him. That first meeting was on a Sunday before the pandemic. It was football season, and the sports book was packed with bettors sitting in the big chairs watching multiple games on the 15 or so large screen televisions. Drinks were flowing. We were training a new bartender. 
She was a slip of a woman, 23 or so, and not quite used to the rough crowd at the West. Allegra, one of my regular bartenders and not someone to be fucked with, approached me. Myra's crying because that asshole, and she pointed to a middle-aged guy with a goatee and a white cowboy hat sitting in the front row with a female friend by his side. That asshole has been barking at her all morning. Every time she brings a drink, he has an issue, insults her. And when I went over to talk to him, he called me a bitch for even saying something. There are a few things that piss me off while wearing my managerial hat. But someone verbally abusing my hard-working, low-paid staff is at the top of that festering list. I stroll over to the dude, squat down so we're on eye level, and quietly let him in on the skinny. Can I have a word? Yeah, seems like you're in a foul mood. I'm being kind of hostile my bar staff. So no, no, hold on, hold on. Let me, I'll explain. I'll let you explain. You can talk. But let me finish, okay? Here's the deal. I'm no fan of that behavior as I'm sure you are not as well. So I want to present you with a choice, okay? You can either apologize to both my bartenders for your rude behavior, and if they believe it, they might continue serving you and your lady friend drinks today. Or you can double down, refuse to apologize, and the result will be that you can enjoy our casino anytime you like, but you will never be served as much as a glass of ice for the rest of your life while in here. What do you think, Cowboy Bob? You could see his anger and frustration bubbling up in different areas of his face, neck, and hands as he wrestled with his response. I never took my eyes off of his as he decided. Finally, he rose, turned to Myra and Allegra, and offered his apology with a counter-apology that if they weren't so busy, perhaps they'd get his drinks right, but don't you know, he understood. The ladies decided to continue serving him drinks, and he subsequently tipped them generously for each drink, I think more to save face with his date than anything I said, but, you know, the effect was the same. Next time Bob came in, man, he was all smiles to me. He roped me into conversations about how I was the best manager around and that I should be running the place. Cowboy Bob was a timeshare salesman. He apparently was pretty good at it as he routinely told me his monthly earnings, but always with the caveat that he could have done much better, but the other people in his office were incompetent. He still called for the manager when someone took too long with his drink or at the gift shop when he bought a snack, but... As I was that manager, things really got out of hand. He had an inside manager, in his perspective. As time progressed, he opened up and shared with me how he really didn't get along with anyone he worked with. In lieu of jumping down the throats of my staff, he'd bring me over to give me advice about that bitch at the cage or the cunt in the sports book. He advocated that I, the best manager in the place, should fire these people because they just didn't get it. On one occasion, he informed me that he could sue the casino and that dippy bitch at the gift shop for selling him a bag of potato chips he ate and then got diarrhea. Mind you, these were those fucked up flavored kettle chips, something like pickle brine and pork chop flavor. But he went into detail about how he could sue, but wouldn't because he wasn't that kind of guy. Once in a while, I, I tried to crack into him and find out what the deal was with the routine mistreatment of those he saw as requiring deference to him and his whims. Now, granted, assigning motivations is tricky business. Therapists are paid for it, and they don't even know what the fuck they're doing. You ever meet a professional therapist without some paste fetish or completely dysfunctional relationship with their parents? That said, Cowboy Bob struck me as a conservative guy with a chip on his shoulder. His work history, as he shared it, was filled with asshole co-workers and women bosses who didn't get him. It seemed that he got along with absolutely no one he'd worked with in years. He was a low-key kind of bigot who had figured out he couldn't 
call the Asian guy in the casino a Jap or the black porter a darky, so he trucked in subtle stereotyping instead, all clothed in the kind of language that sounded very corporate, yet damning at the same time. I, like almost everyone in the place, didn't care much for Cowboy Bob, but we were on our, you know, our honeymoon period, so it was better to have him listen, better for me to listen to him drone on than have him verbally attack my staff, so I took it for the team. Cut to pandemic, three-month shutdown, and a loss of sports to bet on. We reopened the casino, but sports was pretty much canceled, so we didn't see Bob around. Then one day, once football started up. Security to MOD, I have a guest threatening to sue me personally for harassment because I asked him to put on his mask. Copy that on my way. Of course it was Cowboy Bob. And of course he pulled me aside to a complaint. He was agitated and sweaty. Can I have a minute? Yeah, I understand the Black Lives Matter and all that stuff, but all lives matter. You know, all lives, not just black ones. And I need to tell you about your security guard, the fat one over there. Yeah, he's just, well, maybe he's just a little too enthusiastic with his job. I mean, I'm just trying to watch a football game, and he's up in my face about this mask. And Bob, Bob, that's his job. Were you wearing your mask? So wait a minute. You're just going to ignore how he made me feel by telling me this is all my fault? Because that's not about service. That's about control. Bob, he doesn't bother anyone who's wearing a mask. You got to wear it. We want to stay open, and then's the rules. So this is now about control. Is that what you're saying? You're trying to control me, Don. And he went on for like two straight minutes. I finally held up my hand. Just wear your mask, Bob. That's it. No mask. You have to leave. Are we done? Are we done? Are you done talking already? I'm just trying to watch a football game. And I'm not doing that because why? Why? So you can defend an illegal thing to control me and a fat guard? I'm just here to watch a football game. Then watch your fucking game, dude. Well, then you just use profanity. I'll be contacting corporate about that. Groovy. Now put your mask on or you can watch it someplace else that's not here. And you just threatened me. Profanity and a threat. Great professionalism, Bob. What? Stuff it up your ass, okay? He stayed mask on throughout the game. My security officer watched him like a hawk to make sure that fucking mask was on tight. I'll never really understand the weird entitled instincts to use the phrases, I need to see your manager, and I'm calling corporate. But watch enough public freakout YouTubes, and it's not hard to see how much an outlier I am in this regard. Not long ago, I wrote that we've all become Karen, and it's true. Perhaps the digital age has conditioned us to be the asshole who wants someone fired as punishment for shattering his protected worldview of personal autonomy. Maybe we've always been this way, and the onslaught of undeterred opinions swarming around us makes us want to punish those around us not convinced of our divine right to the perfect bag of chips. In an imperfect world, a bit of leeway should probably be given to those employed to serve us. Managers should do their best to balance the needs of the guests and the rights of their staff. I'm amazed at these petty-minded people who demand to see the manager think that calling corporate is a credible th threat, use the power of their patronage to cancel others. I'm amazed, but unimpressed. I hope Cowboy Bob goes to another sports book and haunts its staff, but I'm pretty sure he'll be back. Every place as a cowboy bob and he's mine i suppose
Peculiar Journeys is a weekly podcast featuring stories and thoughts from an arrogant, overly confident white guy. Lots of episodes were recorded while I was living in Chicago, and now I'm in Las Vegas. Check out donhall.vegas for updates and subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Sacan arpeo, man.